you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And again, we'll be looking at the whole chapter in our time together this morning. Matthew chapter 2. You know what happens. You get, um, you get that Christmas card in. has Hallmark on the back. And the front picture is that of a stable. Young couple inside. Shepherds and wise men, a light coating of snow on the ground. Everybody's smiling. There's a star overhead. And it's kind of this image of peace, wonder, serenity. And I like those cards. It just doesn't. It doesn't grasp what really went on with Jesus' birth when you come to Matthew's gospel. I mean, think about it. Jesus coming, we sang about it today. Emmanuel, God is with us to save us from our sins. For sure, everybody's going to embrace that, right? Everybody's going to come on board. And, and what you find right at the very beginning of Matthew's book is kind of a precursor of what's coming. Not exactly. Because the problem is, when God is with us to save us from our sins, that means that he alone is God. And he alone is king. And we are not. In Matthew chapter 2, Matthew chapter 2 would make a great story. Um... You have ruthless rulers. You have these enigmatic kingmakers from a faraway land. You have a young couple with a Messiah. You, you have scribes. You, you, have, you have all kinds of characters here. And I want you to walk with, through, through this text with me again like it was kind of the first time you've read it. What you'll find with any good story, there's a setting and there's an inciting incident and then there's these two waves of conflict. Let's see who wins at the end. The setting, chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem. Can I, can I give you just a short history lesson? I, I, not much, but enough to kind of give you a feel for what's going on here in this text. And, and, and again, I, I won't get into all the details, but Jesus was born somewhere between 5 and 6 B.C. You say, well, that doesn't make any sense. Like, how can Jesus be born before Christ? Wasn't it dated around? Yeah, but the poor monk who organized all that got it wrong by a couple years. So Jesus is born, we'll say, around 5 B.C. Herod that's mentioned here, dies in 4 B.C. But let me tell you something about Herod. Herod was a governor with his brother, and back in 38-ish A.D., um, there was a, when we think of the Roman Empire, you kind of figure they're in charge of the entire world. Well, that wasn't the case. Because areas of Syria and Iraq and Iran we're all part of a whole other empire called the Parthian Empire. 
And Rome and Parthia were constantly fighting and at odds with each other. Well, that puts Herod and his brother kind of right on the edge of the Roman Empire. And what happened, the Parthians came into town, into Jerusalem. Herod barely made it out with his life. His brother didn't make it out and ended up committing suicide. Herod goes all the way back to Rome, and Rome says, we'll help you, and troops are brought back in. They push out the Parthians. Herod becomes king, finally, in 37 B.C., until he dies in 4 B.C. Herod is king of the Jews. He holds that tightly, and the Parthians have been pushed back, at least for now. As you track with Herod's life, what you find is the closer you get to his death, the more paranoid he becomes. And anybody that gets in his way, gets close to him, who might be a threat to the throne, he just knocks them off. He kills them. I mean, he's killing off his own sons toward the end of his life. He's just knocking them off. One kid, one of his sons thinks his dad's going to die because he's very sick, and he says, yeah, he's in prison. Herod finds out, kills him. I mean, that's the kind of thing that's going on toward the end of this guy's life. Closer you get to his death, the more paranoid he comes. The Parthians, that's a scary thing because he almost lost his life when they came into town. So here we are. Jesus is probably one to two years of age as Matthew 2 opens up. It is not far from Herod's death. A paranoid ruler who is the king of the Jews. And who comes into town? Magi from Parthia. <laughs> they, as best we can tell, were kingmakers in the ancient world. In Parthia, when you became king, you would have had the stamp of approval of these men who said, yes, the gods are in it. Yes, you can be king. Can you imagine Herod toward the end of his life. Here's that the Magi are coming, and let mark it down. These weren't three guys walking into town just talking to Herod. You can imagine there was a whole group of soldiers that came with them, because you don't mess with Herod. He's knocking people off, unless you're Parthian kingmakers. Then it changes everything. So notice, Magi come from the east, arriving in Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east, and we've come to worship him. Look at verse 3. Don't read it too quickly. And when Herod the king heard it, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. You know what, folks? If Herod's troubled, you're troubled. Because when Herod's troubled, he starts lopping off heads. That's what he does. That's who he is. So Parthian kingmakers, the very nation through which he almost lost his life, they come in and they say, hey, we want to rule, we want to just worship the king of the Jews. And Herod's thinking, I thought that was me. So what do you do if you're Herod? Herod's a politician par excellence. And in two rounds, he's going to try to control the situation. It doesn't work terribly well, but he's going to try. 
And in the first round, he's going to use an indirect approach. And, and he's going to try to manipulate these guys because at the end of the day, he will get this king of the Jews, whoever this child is. He will get it. He always wins in his battles, or so he thinks. So look at the first round. Look at his approach. It's an interesting approach. Verse 4, a little bit of background before he actually does the approach. It says this, And gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he began inquiring of them where the Messiah was to be born. Guys, you know your Bible. Where will this Messiah be born? And doesn't it strike you as interesting? They knew right away. What has always amazed me about this text is not that they knew it, because it's there in Micah 5. But the scribes and Pharisees did nothing about it. And they said to him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, and here it is, and you, Bethlehem land of Judah, are by no means least among the, 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 the leaders of Judah, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And Herod thinks to himself, that's only a couple miles away. Got Parthian kingmakers who are going to get in the way. And I got to look like I'm on their team. Got it. And he comes up with a plan. Plan to manipulate the whole situation. Then Herod secretly called the Magi back and ascertained from them the time the star appeared. When did that star appear to you exactly in the east? And he's calculating, figuring out time periods, how old this child is, the whole deal. He's a smart guy, smart guy. And he sent them to Bethlehem, verse 8, and said, go and make careful search for the child. And when you have found him, report to me that I too may come and worship him. See what he's done? Politician par excellence manipulating the entire situation. Oh, man, like I was really trying to figure this thing out too. Who's going to be the king of the Jews? I mean, wow, thank you guys. Please go yourself with all your soldiers. Do your thing. Come on back because I just want to go there and do the same thing. Watch them closely, you know? And having heard the king, they went their way. And lo, the star which they had seen in the east went on before them until it came and stood over where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. What was the star? I don't know at the end of the day. But if you push me to the wall, I'd say I think it was just the Shekinah glory of God. Because it appears and reappears, it's really hard to pull off a comet or something else. Okay, so... But I, you look, if you, I know there's videotapes out there on all kinds of things about the stars. So if you, whatever, okay. Whatever it is, God's behind it, okay. So we'll say that one. And they came into the house and saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. Opening their treasures, they presented to him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Folks, do you realize the sacrifice these people went through? Weeks and weeks and weeks of travel and giving what they have to this Messiah. And verse 12, and having been warned by God in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed for their own country 
by another way. Herod loses round one, doesn't he? I mean, he thought he had it all figured out. I'll go, I'll send, I'll manipulate. I know how old they'll come back. They'll think I'm on their side. I'll pat them on the back. I'll usher them away. I'll go down and I'll kill them. <laughs> and Herod's back in Jerusalem waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And finally somebody comes in and says, they're gone. What do you mean they're gone? They were supposed to. They're gone. Round two. Herod will use a direct frontal approach. But before he does, notice what God does. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. Haven't you ever thought about this with Joseph? Whenever he gets dreams, he must be thinking, oh, man, what now? Right? I mean, like, in chapter 1, you know, he thinks he's got this whole thing figured out. An angel comes up and goes, like, holy mackerel. Like, my whole life has been altered for good. And now he's thinking, finally, we got, got a little bit of finances, the frankincense, the myrrh. We're, okay, not, oh, no, it's another angel. <laughs> but it's a good thing. But, but. Whenever this guy gets an angel shows up for Joseph, he knows, like, major shift in my life, okay? But look at what Joseph does in verse 14. He's such a fascinating character because you read, an angel says this, and you know what Joseph always does? Exactly what the angel said. And he arose, took the child and his mother by night, and departed for Egypt. If that's what I'm told to do, that's what I'm doing. Wonderful example of obedience. He was there until the death of Herod, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, out of Egypt did I call my son. Folks, one of the things you find as you read the story here in Matthew chapter 2, God never condones evil, does he? He will always judge evil. But he is so sovereign and so in control, as people go about doing the things that they're doing, God is still God and still accomplishing his purposes in spite of what people choose and do. Isn't that marvelous? Don't you worry about that sometimes in our world? As evil as evil is, God is always greater. He is over the entire process. And way back in the book of Hosea, Hosea is speaking and he's speaking about the nation of Israel and he says, the sun, they're sometimes they're called the sun. And he says, you know, Egypt was a terrible experience at one level, but it was also this place where Egypt, I mean, Israel was prepared to go back to the land. My son prepared to go back to the land. And as Matthew looks back at that event, he says, as much as that was true of the nation, how much more the ultimate son, Jesus Christ. So he's fleeing to Egypt to a place he's never been before. There's a lot of Jews there, but like Joseph didn't know anybody there. But in fleeing there and going there and staying there for a period of time and then coming back to the land, we see, we see God in full control providentially protecting. Not just like he did for the nation, 
but now for his ultimate son, Jesus Christ. Do, do, do you see what I'm saying? What Herod does is wicked, but God is accomplishing his purposes. Specifically, what Herod does comes in verse 16. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged. I mean, he's not playing any games now. No smiley, smiley manipulation. No way. This is it. This is the real Herod. He sent and he slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in the environment, in the environs, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had ascertained from the Magi. I don't know how many children that, that, that was. Scholars estimate anywhere between 10 and 20. We don't know exactly. And people say, well, ancient historians don't mention this because Herod did this kind of thing all the time. And he uses a frontal approach. And he says, as the king of the Jews, I will hold on to what is mine. Everybody two years of age and older, which probably means he figured Jesus was about a year to a year and a half old and therefore anybody two years and older will just we'll make it real clear and safe here just kill him can you imagine what that was like it's a terrible time and matthew as he looks at that says it's awful it's evil they're culpable they're responsible but it also shows us the need of messiah look what he says here in verse 17 then that which was spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. And you know what Matthew does? Matthew says, the nation, according to Jeremiah, went into exile. And when you think of a nation going into exile, they need to be brought back. And they can only be brought back, ultimately, when the right king is here. And Herod is not the right king. Yes, the nation has come back into the land. But they're still ruled by the wrong kind of kings. They're still in exile. It's still not the way it should be. Because the only one that can ultimately rule is Jesus. And Matthew looks at that, he sees Herod being Herod, and he says, the nation still hasn't been delivered. They need Messiah. And Herod's terrible act becomes a reminder that the people aren't home yet. Verse 19. But when Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, and here comes another major change in his life. I've often wondered, and I, 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 I just wonder, I don't, I don't know for exactly. I wonder that frankincense, those spices that they had gotten from the Magi, how important they were for them to survive while they were in Egypt. God is in full control, isn't he? When Herod was dead, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, 
Go into the land of Israel, for those who seek the child's life are dead. Herod the Great is dead. And again in obedience, he arose, took the child and his mother, and came into the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And folks, for good reason. If you know anything about your history, when Herod the Great died, a bunch of his sons were all fighting to become the next ruler. And finally, what, 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 what Augustus did, is he, the, the, the Roman Empire emperor, he just, he just thought, forget it, we'll split this baby up amongst three of them. I mean, we just, well, I, I'm not getting into all that. And he puts a man by the name of Archelaus in charge of Judea. Archelaus had none of the political savvy and skill of his father Herod, but he was as ruthless, if not more ruthless, than his father. He was a terrible guy. At least Antipas, who was up in Galilee, was a little bit more mild on the scale of Herod's. So the angel says, go back, and as they're coming back, and everybody, they're getting back to the land of Israel, they're coming into Judea, and everybody says, do you know who's in charge of Judea? It's Archelaus. <laughs> and Joseph is scared because it seems like it could be worse. So listen what happens. And being warned by God in a dream, he departed for the regions of Galilee, and he came and resided in a city called Nazareth that what was spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He shall be called a Nazarene. So they're coming back. Judea is not a good option. And the angel says, go north to Galilee to the city from which you guys actually came. But what's at Nazareth? Highly successful metropolis, royal town, with a lot of gossip and rumors. Did you hear that Mary, all kinds of rumors about Mary and the pregnancy being illegitimate, right? And not just that. When you talk about where you're from, nobody, said, nobody says proudly, I grew up in Nazareth. I mean, I was going to pick a city, but every time, when I've spoken on this before, and I try to find a city that is a city of ill repute or something like that, somebody says, hey, I grew up there. It wasn't so bad. So I won't, I won't do that, okay? I was like, you just, you come up with the one in your mind, okay? That was Nazareth. It was a place of unimportance, distance. You're from where? Matter of fact, when it comes up in the Gospel of John, it's always negative. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? But here's what God was doing. There's a, there's a lot of debate on how this one was fulfilled. There's, there's three possibilities. I, I think what he's saying here is this. I, I don't think he's quoting from a particular text in the Old Testament. I think he's giving us a statement that encapsulates what you find when you read through your Old Testament. And for instance, in Isaiah 52 and 53, when you read about Jesus, what you find is he's a commoner. There's nothing flashy about where he comes from. When you look at his face, you don't go well like, wow, he should be on a Hollywood movie. Nobody thought that. And Matthew is saying, even in going back to Nazareth, 
out of fear and the angel is directing. Even in that, God is fulfilling the scripture. So that the place he comes from is a simple, common, remote place. Because that's what the Old Testament spoke about. And the story's over. When you pick up in chapter 3, Jesus is going to be 30 years of age. So what do we learn? You have all this in your, in your um, bulletin somewhere. It, you know, I'll just mention it. It's there to go back and look at. So don't worry about writing anything down. But here's the question. The question in the first round was, will Herod be able to manipulate to get this king? And the answer to that was what? No. In the second round, will Herod be able to use a direct frontal attack and kill this would-be king? And the answer to that is no. Herod is gone. And Jesus reigns. What do we learn? What do we learn about God? We learn that God providentially protects Jesus as Messiah and in so doing gives us a foretaste of what is going to come. Wouldn't you think if the true king of kings is here that everybody would accept him? They didn't in his birth and they wouldn't in his public ministry. But that doesn't keep God from being God, does it? So that everything that happens is orchestrated by him. And that he, he doesn't stand behind the axe. He stands over all of them though. Doesn't he? So that his purposes will be accomplished. God's, and here's what I think is really fascinating. Whoever you are today. Wherever you are. You will never thwart the purposes of God. Not his ultimate purpose. Yeah, does he, does he desire for you to love him and follow him? Yes, all true, all true. But what God is doing in history as it moves toward this event when Christ will come back and rule, nobody in here is going to get in the way. Some, like Herod, will hold their fist in the air and say, no, I will be king. <laughs> Did you ever go down to the seashore? And as the waves are coming in, as a kid, I used to try to stand on the seashore. I'm going to not let this thing move me at all. You know what happened? It got wiped out. Well, what am I going to do against, against the ocean of waves? That's what Herod is, isn't he? He's a little kid standing at the waves saying, I will be king as he gets bowled over. No, no. You have a fist up against God and saying, I'll deny him, I'll do my own thing, I'll curse him, I'll... That's sad to me. But you won't stop the purposes of God. The other group that's sad to me are these scribes. Why didn't they go down with the Magi? You know what I mean? Because it was convenient for them. They didn't want to mess up their relationship with Herod. So they just ignored him. 
Do you think people do that at Christmas? Do you think you do it all year? And at the end of the day, you may, but you can't. Not ultimately. See, he's the king of kings. God is providentially working now as he did then to accomplish his purposes. Some people have a fist in the air. Other people just kind of turn their back and try to ignore it. It doesn't matter. The kingdom goes on. And then there's others. Like the Magi. Like Joseph. Who at great sacrifice. But out of great love. An adoration for God. Say, God, will you use me? And as God is sweeping through history and doing and accomplishing his purposes, he allows you and I to step into that wave, doesn't he? And he uses us. Sometimes in ways that we'll never know till glory. Just because we say, I, I worship you, I adore you, I'm overwhelmed with you. Would you please use me? And God says yes. And uses simple people to do incredible things by his grace. God is, pro God is providentially accomplishing his purposes. That's not going to stop. No one's going to end that. The question is, where do you fit in the mix? I, it just, that's, that, that's it. Yeah. Boy, you could have said that quick thing. Why are we going to get out of here? That's true. I guess I could have. Just get the ring, go some hand motions, and we're gone. Yeah, well, could have, but we didn't want to. So I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you don't know Jesus, quit fighting it. Come to him. Embrace him. God is with us to save us. Embrace him. And if you do know him, whatever the sacrifice, will you adore him? And he will use you in ways that only eternity will ultimately reveal. Father.